Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Max Russo, class of 2020. Today, we talk to Diana Martinez, class of 2009, corporate counsel for Credit Ninja, a financial services startup. Diana will share with us how her interest in business began at Pioneer Elementary in kindergarten class and really flourished in WeGo's FBLA and business courses. Joining us today is Diana Martinez from the class of 2009. Diana, what do you do? I am a corporate attorney. I work in-house. Currently, my title is corporate counsel at a downtown Chicago fintech startup called Credit Ninja. What do you mean by in-house? What does that mean that's different than maybe other types of legal jobs when you use that designation in-house? Sure. So I think most people aren't familiar with in-house work because when you think of a lawyer, you think of what you see on TV and that's, you know, going to court, uh, representing clients in front of a judge. But there's another area of the practice of law that's called in-house work. And that's when you as an attorney are an employee of a company. So I'm a regular nine to five salaried employee of a company. And essentially, if you want to frame it in terms of um, maybe clients, you could say that the company is my one and only client. So that's what an in-house attorney does. And I focus entirely on Credit Ninja. So Diana, how did you begin your path towards becoming corporate counsel for Credit Ninja? What, what, did, you, what did you study once you left WeGo? We're going to take it way back to kindergarten. And this is a funny, a bit of a funny story that I tell people when they say, how did you become interested in law? And I say, the interest isn't so much in law, but in business. So they say, all right, well, where did that come from? And I kept, you know, reeling it back to, you know, my high school days, which I'll touch on in, in a couple minutes. But I thought, well, where did that come from? And I was able to trace it back to when I was really little. And I have a vivid memory of, you know, I don't know if you have small children or, or you know, you're familiar with, quote unquote, 100 day in kindergarten. You know, it's your hundredth day of, of kindergarten. And there was a questionnaire and I went to Pioneer, by the way, West Chicago and all the way. Pioneer Elementary, it was hundred day and there was a questionnaire. One of the questions was, what would I do with a hundred dollars? <laughs> Probably most kids would say, oh, I'd go out and, you know, buy some candy, um, buy a bike or something like that. I told my teacher Little six-year-old Diana said that I wanted to buy Builder Square. Now, I don't know if you if you remember. Yeah. Builder that was a competitor to Home Depot, right? <laughs> yes, it's similar to a Home Depot. Now, this is a very bizarre <laughs> choice for a kindergartner, and I have to ask myself where that even came from. I can only come up with two quick explanations. Number one, I used to go to Builder Square a lot with my dad and I enjoyed it. It was good quality time with dad. And B, an aunt of mine owns and still runs a small general store. And when I was little, 
um, around that time, I would ask to ring up customers and handle the cash register. So <laughs> since since a young age, I've just loved maybe I don't know, maybe it's just a love uh, of, um, you know, business, entrepreneurship. I think that really is the core, just those lived experiences as a child. And then we fast forward to my time at WeGo, which all of my four years there, I took, apart from um, French department uh, classes, did four years of French. I did business department electives. Um, I think I took almost all possible business department electives and had a blast. That's, I mean, that's when I really kind of decided and it really kind of cemented into my life the fact that I wanted to pursue something in the business and corporate world. So you then, and I can assure you when I talked to Miss Worth and Miss Durbin, uh, and because I, I would thank them for uh, pointing you my way for this interview, they were effusive in their praise that you would essentially are on the, on the Mount Rushmore of all time. We go uh, business students uh, for sure. Um, so, and so where did you, so then, so you, you leave, we go, where do you go to school after afterwards to sharpen your, your business acumen? After high school, the logical choice, you know, go to college. I applied to U Chicago, Northwestern and Loyola just those three. I don't recommend only applying to three schools to anyone. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, it all worked out. I knew at the time that Northwestern didn't have a business-focused undergrad program, but I did know the value of a Northwestern degree itself. So I decided to go to Northwestern, spent four years there, and I, I figured that I would move on to an MBA program thereafter. That, that was the plan. Back when I was in high school, I thought, great, I'll go to Northwestern and go on to Kellogg or some other MBA program. Plot twist, my freshman year of college, I interned at a business services law firm and made the realization that with a law degree, I could work with businesses and companies. So that's where I decided, well, let me go to law school and focus on corporate law. I'm always fascinated by how one gets directed towards internships. Do you remember how you, that fell or how you were directed towards that? How did that happen? My sister, I was friends with the, um, with the partners at the firm and that's how it happened. It just fell into my lap. So you graduate from Northwestern. Do you, do you remember like any, were there any like really great classes that kind of like that, that had you on a particular project that you really enjoyed while you were there? So here's, here's one of the things I learned, I think when I was, uh, not until I was a sophomore at Northwestern, to get into law school and to be a competitive applicant, you don't necessarily have to take, people usually think, oh, you have to take political science classes. That's not the case. Um, as long as you have a you know, decent GPA and you do, do well on the LSAT, that's all it takes. So what I did once I realized that, I pivoted from the poli sidetrack and turned to sociology because that was just more interesting to me. Um, it's still a, you know, an area of interest of mine. 
Um, so I, I took classes that I enjoyed. I took um, sociology classes and my minor was legal studies. So I actually took some classes related to the practice of law. And I remember, you know, in, the, in these small classes, my classmates would, you know, talk about, oh, oh yeah, my mom's a lawyer or like, oh, my grandpa's a lawyer. And they would have all these really cool things to share. And I had never met a lawyer until that freshman year internship. So it was, I think I made, you know, it was, it was a great learning opportunity for me because I had zero background experience into what it meant to want to go to law school and be a lawyer. So, you know, even though I didn't have any previous experience with lawyers in my family or in my circle, that's the reason why I was able to soak in all of that even more so than my classmates. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. How do you prepare to then go into law school? I mean, so it, it, it's, it's, you have to take a, a particular test to get in. What was that like? And this is all stuff that I had to figure out on the fly. Uh, Google was my best friend. <laughs> I literally typed in, how do I get into law school? Um, you know, talked to some advisors at Northwestern and, you know, got a general sense of a timeline of how to prepare those applications. Um, it's a big time and energy commitment to put together these law school applications and to also study for the LSAT, which is only administered, if I remember correctly, just a couple times a year. So I took some time. I decided that I wasn't going to be able to do that while I juggled my senior year at Northwestern. So I took a year in between to work at a small law firm, and it gave me the opportunity to study you know, for the LSAT, put together my law school applications, and the the other benefit to that was that as an applicant now i can say i have some full-time working experience at a law firm so it was threefold the benefit of that um and and that's that's how i did it some students can do it straight out of college some people take two years between college and law school some people take you know many more years and pivot into a law degree later in their career which honestly um, I think those are some of the strongest law students. Um, but in my case, I took one year between college and law school. It's really, I like how you express that, the threefold part, which is that it, it saved you the stress and you were able to get actual experience it, that oftentimes is the thing that it's kind of like the chicken or egg. Well, how can I get experience if I can't get my mm -hmm. foot in the door? And you were able to do that uh, and, uh, and and then have the time to just genuinely prepare for it. So uh, yeah, that threefold, I, I like that. So um, which, which school did you get into? I applied to all Chicago area law schools. And when it came down to choosing one, you know, mm -hmm. of the ones that accepted me, I did, you know, visited some on campus, went to some admitted student programs. And I, I'm, I'm a person that's big on following your gut, following your intuition. When I went to the admitted student program at Loyola, I just fell in love. I just fell in love. I said, I want to come here. I could see myself there. The quality of the programming, 
I mean, maybe it was the gift bags. I don't know. <laughs> gift bags uh-huh. a long way with Truth me. comes out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just, I felt like a very welcoming environment. They stressed the fact that it was not competitive. That was one of my fears. One of my fears was this stereotypical cutthroat, you know, environment, which I'm going to have to be in for three years competing with my classmates for, you know, a good grade. I didn't want that. You know, that's not my style. And at Loyola, I found that it was a very welcoming environment. And I'm so glad I went there. That's how I chose it. So did you, once you got into Loyola, did you, you, you knew that you wanted to get into like the business law part of that, but did you, did you, kind of also kind of fall in love with any of the other types of uh, law classes that you had to take? Were were you almost kind of tempted to go to a different one as a result of your coursework? So that's, that's a great question. And one of the interesting things about law school, and one of the things that I didn't even know before enrolling was that the first year of law school, you have to take Every law student in the whole country takes basic courses like torts, contracts, criminal law, just the basics. So everyone gets um, experience with, with, with those classes. Loyola is unique, and I think it's um, one of the very few law schools that does allow you to take one elective your first year. Otherwise, most law students at most law schools have to wait until their second and third year to take electives. So of course I took a business related elective, um, loved it. That was kind of my signal to say, hey, let's go ahead and register for more corporate law classes as a second and third year. However, one of the things I did that was maybe a little bit unique was um, as a third year student, I took what's called a, oh man, what's what's it called? It's like an intensive trial advocacy course. Basically, the two weeks um, in between winter, um, fall semester and spring semester, it's two weeks, and it's five days a week, eight hours a day, <laughs> simulating trial prep for a criminal case and a civil case. I told myself, I don't want these three years to go by without having some type of experience with what it's like to be a litigator. Because just like you said, how do I know I don't like it if I don't try it? Um, So I took the course, loved it. It's, It's a really unique way of, you know, practicing law. I really appreciate it for, you know, for what it's worth. Um, and I, I, I did very well in the class. Turns out I'm not afraid of, you know, getting in front of a judge, um, you know, presenting a case, cross-examining a witness. And I said, great, now I know that if I ever want to switch to litigation, I'm going to be a rock star. Um, And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't taken the course. Um, But the love for business and corporate work was still very much there. And I did focus 95% of my electives on corporate uh, coursework. So uh, are are the internships different when you're at law school? Are you allowed to have internships when you're in law school? Uh, And did you you take one? Yeah. So if I remember correctly, um, the first year 
it's uh, first year, you're actually not allowed to participate, at least at, at Loyola, in um, extracurricular you know, activities. Um, you have to wait till your second and third year. They really want you to focus on your coursework. And I don't believe that an internship um, is encouraged during your first academic year. The first summer afterwards, go for it. In fact, it's, it's really important for you to get an internship. I got my, I had a handful of different internships when I was in law school, all during the summer. I didn't want to have one during the school year. Um, but the most significant one for me was the summer before my final year, before my third year. And that was when I had the opportunity to be a legal intern at the corporate in-house um, legal department of a publicly traded energy company here in downtown Chicago. And legal internships in a corporation are very, very rare. I didn't know that at the time, but I really lucked out getting that. I really did. I was wondering, because that was uh, in the article um, uh, that I was reading, and it said, like, why, do you, why, why are such opportunities so rare in, in that particular field? You know, I don't have any good explanation except for the fact that that's just traditionally not been the case. Traditionally, in-house attorneys are attorneys who have practiced at a law firm for 5, 10, 15 plus years. And then they decide that maybe they want a slightly better quality of life (laughs) and switch to in-house. There just aren't many opportunities for a student, for a young attorney to work in-house. That's changing, honestly. In the past that I've seen, um, and I've been out of law school for going on, let's see, almost four years now, that's changing. Um, more companies are becoming open to taking a recent graduate or somebody with you know, less than five years experience and really molding them as an in-house attorney. So it's, so it's changing. It's, it's getting better. So you, at some point, have to take the bar exam. Uh, what was your kind of experience and preparation like for that? Yeah, the bar exam was definitely quite the experience studying for it. it. It's one of those things where you have to be very disciplined in setting aside time every day or at least six days out of the week to study for it because the sheer amount of information on the exam, on the two or perhaps three, depending on your state, days of exams, the level of information, the amount of information is just absurd. How how much of it is like information that you have to know prior to going into it versus how do you process the information that they provide you? Or is it a little bit of column A and column B with that? Uh, It's a little bit of both. Honestly, the content of the bar exam is essentially testing the foundations of your ability to analyze and synthesize information as an attorney. None of the law that we're tested on actually um, it's all common law. It's all, it's not actually 
except for the state specific, the Illinois law specific portion of the exam, most of the bar exam is common law, which is like olden days law. Um, but the point of it is to make sure that you can analyze information um, correctly. You you passed. Congrats! <laughs> what was that? What was that celebration like? How long? Oh like God. you? So you take the test. How long do you have to wait before you find out that you, that you get good news? So, let's see. So I took it in July. Took it in July, and I received my test results in October. Um, I remember when I received the email notifying me that I could review my results. I was in my office at Discover, at the legal department of Discover um, up in Riverwoods. And I shared an office with a coworker and I told him, oh my God, I got the email. I'm going to check my results. I mean, honestly, honestly, at that point, I thought to myself, if I pass, great, I deserve it. And if I failed, I don't regret it one bit because I gave it my all. And boy, it's a beast of an exam that even failing is not embarrassing. So long as you prepared very well, if you fail, it's not embarrassing at all. So I was I was prepared for either way. I saw that I had passed. <laughs> I did a little happy dance, of texted my family, and I went and told um, my supervisor at the time, Lisa, you know, she, we did a happy dance together. Oh my God. You know, the word started to spread around the office. It was a happy day. It was very happy. That's, that's fantastic. (laughs) What, and just, just that everyone was there to kind of like support you and, and, and all of that. So you were, so then you were working in the legal department at, um, discover card. I, my, my father was a police officer in Deerfield. And, um, and I remember when I was, a when I was younger, he used to direct traffic right around that part of, of Riverwoods, mm-hmm. um, discover they have a really cool building. If I remember correctly, isn't it like a really slick, like mm-hmm. architecture? It's a huge corporate headquarters. I think it's like 3000 or 5,000 employees. It's, you know, right there on Lake Hook road. I actually, yep. when I was working there, I moved to Deerfield myself. Um, that, that was another, uh, experience. When do you then make the move to, uh, Credit Ninja? I joined Discover for, before bar results even came out, you know, they took that chance on me. And, uh, so that was in September of 2017. And I was there for a full, full year, um, through August of 2018 and I remember I was looking for, you know, my next opportunity. Um, a coworker of mine, um, his name's Gary, came into, you know, my office and said, hey, I saw this job posting. Um, it really looks like a good fit for you. Um, you know, you should think about applying. I looked at it and I said, yeah, you're right. It does look like a great fit. It would be a great um, next step for me because it's still within the realm of consumer financial services. And at that point, I had to weigh the pros and cons of, you know, going from Fortune 500 to startup and going from legal department of 100 to legal department of two. I, at Credit Ninja, I, the role would report directly to the, to the general counsel, the GC. And that was the case. It was just the two of us for around two years 
We recently added a third um, attorney, we're soon to be adding a fourth. Um, and so that jump was just, was, was a very logical step for me. Um, it was a little bit of a leap of faith because I wasn't sure what it was going to be like being an attorney at such a small company, let alone a startup. Turns out I love it. I, I love a good scrappy, you know, team. I'm living vicariously through my execs. Um, I'm living out this passion for business and entrepreneurship at Credit Ninja. And, you know, I love it there. Well, you know, that that's interesting. It was one of the questions I had towards the end, uh, which was that, you know, because it's a startup, would you say when you handle um, legal matters that are you more reactive in that something is being kind of thrown at thrown at you or come across your desk or how much of your bandwidth in terms of a legal expert in, in being in house, are you being proactive in, in maybe seeking out the the next battle? So it doesn't come to that. How, how do you maybe find the balance of that? Sure. So being at the startup, especially with a, you know, young, brand new legal department, um, I played a big role in setting up that legal and compliance function. I mean, my my boss, the general counsel, he's an industry veteran, you know, so much you know knowledge and such a great resource there. And so any um, you know issue or or you know that would that would come up, I would have his support. But also I had the ability to figure out the best way to tackle it because quite literally we were dealing with things for the very first time. Um, you know, the first time we receive a demand letter um, from plaintiff's attorney, the first time that we receive, you know, a big consumer complaint, the first time that we receive, um, you know, there is like a, like a dispute in a, a vendor agreement um, the first time, like there's just so many firsts. And so for me, it was an incredible opportunity to, you know, it was almost like trial by fire. Um, I was the one given the ability to, to decide how to manage some of these things with the, you know, close support of my boss, um, you know, which was invaluable. It's, it's almost like I had the opportunity to figure things out on my own. That's the best way to learn, honestly. But I had the safety net of my general counsel who has done this before, you know, and, and all of our founders, they've done this before. They're industry veterans as well. So it was the perfect mix of me learning as an attorney and also doing what's best for the company based on, you know, tapping into that um, collective knowledge of my execs and my general counsel. I love that idea that you're at the same time you're building this new thing, which is this uh, this team. Um, you're still being shaped by the, in many ways, the institutional knowledge of those veterans that uh, that you're collaborating with that are there. And, and this is kind of more of like a, a processing type of uh, question: is you know communication is so essential to everything that you do as, as a lawyer. And I was wondering, you know, how, how do you see how essential um, the, how present you must be when you're pouring over a document and then when you're then 
corresponding and you're sending out something to the, the plaintiff or those that you're involved with this uh, matter, uh, whatever the matter may be. I was wondering if you can comment on how do you prepare yourself and how you prepared yourself to really be so precise in all of your communications. I know exactly the root of all of that. And that was at my internship um, when I was, you know, in-house as a law student. And I was working with the real estate attorney at, at the company. And he gave me an assignment and he said, I'm going to teach you how to receive instructions for an assignment. And he said, look, I'm telling you this, jot this down. Think about the questions that you might have when you get back to your desk. Think about them right now and ask them to me right now because you're in front of me right now. <laughs> and I, you know, the light bulb went off in my head and I, I thought, that's brilliant. I need to make sure I'm asking the right questions in the moment so that I can streamline my, you know, my work later on. Do my future self a favor by preparing myself as best I can right now. And so I started practicing how to ask the right questions from the get-go. And I utilize that every single day in every single, you know, maybe not all, but the majority of conversations I have with coworkers, with counterparties, with, uh, you know, opposing counsel, you just, you want to make sure everyone's on the same page because the best way to waste your time is to not be on the same page, you know, with, you know, whoever's given you the instruction or, you know, if you're collaborating with someone else and you're both, you know, working on the wrong thing or working towards the wrong thing. Um, so it's just a matter of being efficient with preparing yourself so that you can save yourself the headache later on. You, you, you took away a future question that I was going to ask. I'm sorry. No, no, it's actually, it's perfect because the, the question I was going to ask was that brilliant quote that you had in the Hispanic, ex, uh, Hispanic executive article, which was that you had mentioned that, um, that when you want to improve a process, you act on it. Now I can clearly see where that's, that, that, that whole process came from, was from, uh, from that right there, um, mm -hmm. which is great. So uh, speaking of that particular uh, article, and I'll make sure that I, everyone who's listening to this will uh, see a link to that in the, um, in the episode notes. In the lead of, of the article, there's a really kind of cool uh, opening quote there, and it was describing you, Diana, and it said that, uh, that you are undaunted by one of the most competitive industries in the world, and I'm going to stop midway uh, in that sentence right there, and I'm going to circle back to the adjective, you know, which is undaunted. Uh, and that's, that's such a, such a unique description of, of you, but that doesn't happen right away, right? Like, you know, how, how does one become undaunted in this particular field where you have been able to build that level of confidence? Do you remember? I'll do my very best to answer this. If it was, if it was as simple as a piece of advice, you know, I would just bottle up and sell it and become a millionaire and retire. But it's not that simple. I want a share of that company. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, it goes back to, I mean, everything, the way you're raised, your, your family upbringing, um, the environment you grew up in, um, the, the, 
role models in your life. I'm very, very lucky to, you know, have a very supportive family from the get-go, you know, a family who is supportive of my ambitions. You know, if I, I said, I want to go to Northwestern, they said, go for it. I want to become a lawyer, go for it. I ended up realizing that if you want to do something, you just have to go for it. Um, I'm going to share a, a really quick story, but it's actually a pretty pivotal point, you know, from when I was in high school. And I hope that a lot of the students that are tuning in, um, you know, get something out of this. So the truth is that when I was a freshman, I had seen a flyer for FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America. And I thought, that looks so cool. I really want to join. And then that little voice in my head said, but you don't know anyone that's in the club. None of your friends want to join. You don't, you don't know the teachers. Mm, maybe not. And that little voice won. And I didn't join that year. And the very next year, my sophomore year, I saw the flyer again. And I decided, you know what? I want to do it. I'm just going to do it. I don't care that I don't know anyone and that my friends don't want to join. Oh, I'll meet people. It's okay. That's not the end of the world. And that was the best decision I could have made, you know. And since then, it's just been practicing just going for it. I mean, when I was, you know, this happened to me again when I was in college, when I was a freshman. I wanted to do certain things, join certain activities. And I, that little voice crept in and, and said, you know, aren't you afraid? Isn't that, you know, weird? What, what are people going to think? And I think I read somewhere or heard somewhere that um, fear and excitement uh, biochemically are the exact same thing. Huh. And Honestly, I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> it probably is. I bet if uh, if we were to you know, kind of track the brain that we could probably link that right to the amygdala, I bet. So I think you're right I, on. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even know if that's true. And honestly, it doesn't even matter because that's the attitude that I've tried to, you know, embody with everything I do, the small decisions, big decisions. If I'm a little bit afraid I turn that into excitement for the possibility. And I mean, it's, it's, it's every day, it's every week. And sure, sometimes you're going to have off days, off months, off years. Um, but just getting back to, you know, if you want to do something, go for it. And I'm going to share a quote. You didn't ask me for any quotes, but I'm going to hit you with a quote. <laughs> I want <it. laughs> The quote is, there are people with half your talent making waves twice as big. Wow. How is that? Well, How is that possible? They just did it. <laughs> so just <yeah>. do it. <laughs> that and, and little by little, year after year, you end up climbing and being open to opportunities. One day you look back and say, oh my God, look at all of this I've accomplished. And since you referenced the article, you know, I'll reference that as well. When I saw the first draft of the article, I said, my goodness, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just day by day. You're so right about that 
little sensor that's on your shoulder that says, don't do that. You know, you'll, you'll never be good enough. And you just have to somehow power through and do it. That, that's just so, so spot on. And so in that same article, the second part of that is that you say that you want it to be, it's the experience by inspiration for the next generation. And, you know, one of the things that you've been very generous with your time, obviously with this podcast, and you've spoken, I think, several times to business students here at WeGo. Um, what are the other ways in which you kind of use your kind of platform to inspire others? Right now, um, you know, I, apart from trying to give, you know, give back to, to WeGo, which I'm always happy to do. I told, um, you know, and this is, I'm extending the, the offer to you as well. Anytime you need me, anytime you want me to volunteer, I'm in for the rest of my life. There you go. Golden ticket. Rest of my life <laughs> on record. <laughs> I can't take it back. Um, I also, uh, you know, volunteer at, as an attorney. There's, there's some really great programs you can get involved with. Um, one of which is um, part of the uh, Association of Corporate Counsel, and that's a program that goes into local high schools to teach them about, um, you know, contracts and uh, just law in general. Um, but at the end of the day, what it's about is awareness of the possibility, the possibilities of a career in law, which, you know, in your high school days, if you don't have the advantage of knowing a lawyer or having one in your family, that's that it's not going to cross your mind to become one. So I think it's really important for me to physically, well, maybe not right now in COVID days. Um, I'm at, oh, you know what? I'm actually uh, virtually going to speak at at a business at the business law um, class this semester at WeGo. I'm very excited. Yes, about that. yes, you are. Yep. <laughs> but to physically, you know be seen by these students, you know, somebody that they can, you know, I'm still young enough to be hip, I think, um, but someone that they can relate to as a young person, someone they can, you know, perhaps relate to culturally, um, you know, and being that first exposure to the practice of law, that kind of gets the gears turning in their mind. And who knows? I don't know. I don't know how many lives I'm potentially impacting, but I'm going to be doing that for the rest of my career in the hopes that I'm inspiring folks to, to think about a career in law. And they don't have to be corporate lawyers. They don't have to work in-house, um, but just expanding their worldview and expanding their idea of what's available for them. Fast forward to students who already want to practice law. Maybe they're college students applying to law school Maybe they're law students that are figuring out what to do after graduation. I have a few, you know, mentees that I just hop on the phone with, you know, act as a sounding board for them, share my experience, and it's on them to utilize that information the best way they can. I can't tell them what to do. I mean, I can. <laughs> Sometimes I do. But ultimately, it's on them to do with, with what I'm sharing whatever they want to do. Um, the most important thing, the most significant um, thing for me lately um, was last summer when I had the opportunity to hire uh, law students. I hired two summer law students um, as interns. Um, and that was just, just incredible for me. 
to finally be in a position where I'm literally the one with the ability to hire somebody and give them this opportunity, something completely tangible and solid and valuable to add to their resume. And that, oh my God, that brought me so much joy. It, cause it, exactly. Cause that, that's a, that's a, that's a serious foothold in their resume that can't be taken away. I mean, so it's, it, what an incredible opportunity that you were able to provide them. I love that, that quote that you have too. That's, um, that's, you know, you can only become what you see. I just think that's just so fitting for, for that. So, you know, speaking of, of things that other or organizations that you're part of, you're also part of the online lenders Alliance. And in part of that, it said that you, maybe you get to travel and go to kind of be a representative of credit ninja where you go to different conferences, you know, you know, when you could travel, uh, yeah. for, for these things. Um, were you able, it said that you were, that you meet with congressional members. What was that? What's that experience like? My company, you know, decided to become a, a member company of OLA, Online Lenders Alliance. And um, we kind of had to figure out, well, who was kind of going to be the face of the company and be the one to participate and fly out to these conferences. Um, I mean, nowadays they're virtual. Um, and I raised my hand and I said, I can do it, you know, because why? Because it's an opportunity for me to learn, network, you know, get you know, get my name out there. Um, since then, I've been able to participate actually as a speaker and a panelist at their events. And that's just, I mean, <laughs> just one year after participating in their conferences to actually be on the other side of the table and present on topics that I, you know, learned <laughs> maybe a year prior. <laughs> um, that is just incredible for me. And and yes, I've had the chance to, they're headquartered out of uh, Washington, DC. And part of their mission is to advocate for the interests of the industry. So I've had uh, the chance to go to congressional offices and talk to, you know, Congress people, or, you know, sometimes their staffers, um, and voice the perspective of a lender of a business in this industry. That's been just invaluable experience for me. And, you know, I, I just, I feel so grateful that I can do that because A, it's making me an even better lawyer for the company. B, it's making me just a better lawyer for, for you know, myself, developing my, my skills. Um, and C, I'm going to tell you, there are... <laughs> hardly any in-house attorneys that are under the age of 30. Um, it's like unheard of. And I think uh, the median age is minimum, you know, 40, 45. Uh, so if I have this opportunity to learn in this way and get all of this, you know, exposure and firsthand experience, it's just, I mean, I just see that as rocket fuel for my own career. The folks that I'm presenting right alongside, I don't know what they were doing at, you know, three years out of law school, four years out of law school. I don't think they were presenting at these types of events. And here I am doing it and holding my own, you know, being a knowledgeable presenter on these topics, which that's thanks to you know, folks like my boss, you know, reading up on 
um, you know, articles and um, cases that come out and regulations that come out. Um, that's my own internal, you know, preparation. But, you know, I don't get intimidated by the fact that I'm one of the youngest folks in the group, no matter where I go. It's, you know, I try to not get intimidated by that because I, I get, <laughs> there it is again, instead of the fear, it's excitement. I get excited thinking that, you know, 10 years into my career, 20 years into my career, I can't even imagine what I'm going to be doing and how much knowledge I'm going to have at that point if this is what I'm doing now. So I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> so again, to circle back to the other word, you know, is that being undaunted. I was wondering too, like most people kind of shrink away from like the type of interaction that occurs during a negotiation, right? So how do you learn to become a better negotiator? I mean, because I mean, you're at peak negotiation career, right? Which is what you do as corporate counsel. Is this some, what's the percentage of how much of it is like trial by fire, which is that it's experience or observation or, I mean, do you read about it? Like, and, and, and maybe to some degree, like your background in sociology and, and, and noticing how people interact with each other informs the effectiveness of, of you as a negotiator. Absolutely. It's all of the above. And you hit the nail on the head. It actually, it comes down to, it's human interaction. I mean, sure, the law and, you know, case law, it's, it's words on paper, Who's the one enforcing it? Who's the one advocating for it? It's humans. And so really uh, nailing down those social skills and those negotiation skills, it's all about communication at the end of the day. And, you know, one of the things you learn in law school is figuring out what the issues are, what the objective is, um, you know, how you can get there and just communicate. Um, ask for what you want. It's about being an advocate. How do you develop those skills? Try to work on those, you know, outside of work, you know, advocating for yourself. Um, I don't know, let's say you're, you're at the grocery store and something rings up, you know, the wrong price. What do you do? Um, are you going to speak up? Or are you going to just ignore it? Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's everything. So, you know, my, abilities as a negotiator, it kind of is informed by how I carry myself in my day-to-day, -day, how I am as a person. And that's somebody who, you know, has her objectives, you know, very clear, knows the bounds of what is, you know, allowable, not allowable, knows the opportunities where there's gray area and maybe some wiggle room, um, and just knows how to articulate herself. That's something that's a lifelong process. Um, Funny you mentioned reading about negotiation. Um, this is a completely true story, and I'm almost a little bit embarrassed to share it, but it's completely true. I had a big negotiation um, coming up um, at Credit Ninja. I had to negotiate with this, um, let's just call them a third party. It was really tough negotiation. Honestly, it kept me up at night, and... I decided I'm going to buy a book on negotiation. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I flipped to the first chapter and I 
And it it's telling me things that I already put in practice. And I say, okay, I can skip this one. I'll go to the second one, second chapter. And it's also things that I already do. <laughs> I huh. skip to the third one. Same thing. I go to the very last chapter. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like yeah. can I learn something new? Um, you know, but it's, it's, that's, that's what good negotiation is. It's a little bit of everything and you can't just learn it by reading it. You have to really live it. Um, negotiation gets a bad rap sometimes. It's not a nasty thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just being a good advocate. That's all it is. Yeah. I like, I like how you kind of reframed that, right? Cause it, negotiation has that type of thought which is like someone's losing yeah. in a negotiation yeah. when maybe no, if it's reframed it's more of like a dance right it's well, yeah, kind of like how, 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 how that, if, if all parties can settle at, on the right thing i like exactly. that that's the best outcome when both sides you know win you don't know what that looks like unless you communicate and figure out the best outcome it's not about being a bully it's not about you know being you know, bombastic and um, you know, shouting or anything like that. That's that's not how you do it. Just about being a good communicator and advocating for yourself and your client. And in this case, my client is is the company. Or when I'm, you know, uh, on on Capitol Hill with OLA, client is the industry. Oh, Diana, uh, we have there's so many incredible, <laughs> like just pearls of wisdom that you have dropped throughout this entire uh, interview. And I mean, it would be, there's just so many, um, but I was wondering if I would just kind of clear the runway for you and, and kind of end the interview with the question I, I ask all um, uh, guests uh, for the podcast, which is if there were any tips for success that you could give uh, our Wildcats and you've given us a ton already, but maybe you have one like just on the top of your uh, head that you would uh, uh, leave us with, what would that be? Sure. I, I definitely want to share the title of two Ted talks that I want everyone to, to listen to. They're, they're great. I recommend them wholeheartedly. And then I'm going to end with a last bit of advice. Um, and I hope you hyperlink these. Um, so the first talk is titled how to stop screwing yourself over by Mel Robbins. And that's M E L Robbins. Second one is called the little risks you can take to increase your luck. And that's by Tina Selig S E E L I G. So just check those out. Um, and then here's my little, just a little nugget that I want to share with everyone. And it goes like this. Intelligence isn't knowing everything. It's the ability to assimilate information and synthesize it to make the best decision. Therefore, in order to be successful and make the best decisions, you need three basic things. Number one, access to people with information, and this is including opinions. Number two, the ability to understand the information. And number three, the ability to act on the information. So the better the quality of your network, the higher quality of the information and opinions to which you have access. And that is the key to it all. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You just like really knocked it out of the park. And you gave me tomorrow's AP language lesson, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> wow. 
I'm, I'm processing that as my, as we speak. I, I can't take credit for it. It was, I, I kind of pieced it together um, maybe about three, four years ago, just through some, you know, personal realizations and then some, you know, just some advice I got um, on my phone. I, I jot down quotes and just ideas. And this is one of them. So as I was preparing for today's episode, I thought, let me pull out my my golden nugget here and really share this with everyone, because really that's what it all boils down to. Yeah. I don't know that maybe gold is too much or not enough. That could be platinum diamonds that, you know what, um, maybe oil or in, in, in today's age, big data. So yeah, big data. Exactly. (laughs) Pick your peak currency. And that's what that was. Wow. That was so great. Well, Diana, thank you so much. This was uh, an absolute blast to learn uh, so much about law, and I, I learned a ton. So, and I, everyone who listens to this uh, will as, as well. So, this is going to be great. I will make sure I hyperlink uh, the TED Talks and the um, and that wonderful article uh, that I had referenced several times in an interview. So, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. I think this, you know, podcast series is invaluable. I, I I hope everyone listening goes back and, and pokes around the different, you know, prior episodes because these are some great interviews that you do. And you you turn these out. I don't know how you do it, but there's some good stuff on there. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think the real winner actually is me because I get to have these incredible conversations and I, I'm just learning a ton. You know, it's just, uh, it's an incredible uh, experience and an opportunity for me. So it's, it's been awesome. So thank you, Diana. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The episode page will include a link to a glowing profile of Diana in Hispanic Executive and links to Diana's favorite TED Talks. You can follow We Go Places episodes on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Just search We Go Vox. We Go V O 